What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Place your left hand on the Bay of Bible and raise your right hand and repeat after me. I do solemnly swear. Please, the jury, find your defendant not guilty. Protests continued this weekend in Ferguson and around the country. Quit resisting. You're under your It makes no sense. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Judge, you are the last line of reason in this case. Every one of us took an oath of office, and we're sworn to uphold the Constitution. From Tenderfoot TV in Atlanta, this is Sworn. I'm your host, Philip Holloway. This episode is dedicated to the memory of the lives lost in the October 1st, 2017 mass murder in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's also dedicated in honor of the first responders and civilian heroes who prevented this from being any more terrible than it already was. The uncomfortable truth is that mass murder has been around as long as humankind. We'll explore the question of whether anything could have been done to prevent this tragedy in Las Vegas while we also explore and break down the Second Amendment and what the Supreme Court has told us that the Second Amendment means. One six nine ten means we got shots fired four fifteen AS up. Bridge 91, in the boulevard. I need five 
need the answer for Zebra 20. They have one suspect down inside the room. Zebra 20 has one suspect down inside the room. 7 Victor, there's one down, 32nd floor, Mandalay Bay. On the night of October 1st, 2017, America experienced an unspeakable tragedy, the largest mass shooting in modern U.S. history and the most fatal attack on our soil since September 11, 2001. A gunman named Stephen Paddock opened fire on the audience at the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival in Las Vegas, Nevada. Our hearts go out to the friends and the families of any and all of the victims. Our deepest condolences are extended to those who lost their lives and the loved ones they left behind. And our greatest hope is for a swift and full recovery for everyone who was injured. Up to this date, the U.S. mass shooting with the most fatalities was in Orlando, Florida at the Pulse nightclub in June of 2016. The shooter in that case was Omar Mateen, who killed 49 people and wounded 58 at the least. With mass shootings like the Las Vegas massacre at the forefront of everyone's mind, I'd like to take this opportunity to discuss the topical issues at hand. This tragic incident has brought a lot of attention to the ongoing political discussion of gun control laws and terrorism and what can we do to protect ourselves in situations like this. Of course, this podcast is not a political discussion, and it's not our intention to make it one, but this is also a real part of the criminal justice system, and so it's relevant and appropriate for us to discuss the issue of mass murder. So, to tie this into the greater theme of sworn, I'll be discussing the issues that have risen in the media since the Las Vegas massacre, and I'll be discussing them through the lens of legality. Would gun control laws help prevent this situation from occurring? How else would gun control laws affect us as a country? Why isn't this labeled as domestic terrorism? Some people think that it should be. However, Federal law defines terrorism as the use of violence to intimidate or coerce a government or civilians to influence policy. So if this isn't that, then what is it? Here's sworn producer Meredith Stedman with a more detailed look at the events of the tragedy of October 1st, 2017 in Las Vegas. The sadness surrounding the events of October 1st has been inescapable. The Las Vegas massacre has permeated our news outlets, as it should, given the devastating circumstances. Because there's been such constant coverage, it can be hard to keep the facts straight. We wanted to give you a brief overview of what information has been disclosed. The perpetrator of this massacre was 64-year-old Stephen Craig Paddock. Paddock, who lived in multiple places throughout the course of his life, was currently a resident of Mesquite, Nevada, about an hour from Las Vegas. He was an accountant, and a real estate investor, successful enough to sustain his gambling hobby, which brought him to Las Vegas fairly often. Paddock suggested that his girlfriend, Mary Lou Danley, go to the Philippines two weeks before the incident occurred. He bought her a plane ticket and later wired her $100,000. She said she had no knowledge of his plans or of any mental health issues that he may have been struggling with. Paddock's brother, Eric Paddock, said the same. The massacre began just after 10 p.m. on Sunday night. From his room on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Resort, 
Paddock opened fire into the crowd at the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival during the set of country singer Jason Aldean. Paddock had smashed out the window of his hotel room with a hammer prior to shooting. Paddock placed cameras in and around his room, one in the people and two in the hallway, to monitor the hallways for security personnel. He had 23 rifles in the hotel room and one handgun. Twelve of the firearms were altered with bump fire stocks, which allow semi-automatic rifles to function as fully automatic weapons. After a search was conducted, 19 more firearms were found in Paddock's home, along with explosives and several thousand rounds of ammunition. Ammonium nitrate, often used in homemade explosives, was found in the trunk of his car. Paddock was found dead in his room with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. His motive is still undetermined. 59 people were killed in this incident, with over 500 injured. This is now the largest mass shooting in modern U.S. history, surpassing the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando in 2016. Good afternoon. Is this Dr. Wilkie? Good afternoon. How are you today? Doing great. How are you, sir? Well, I think all things are fine. Looking forward to a nice weekend of weather. Would you mind starting by letting us know just a little bit about who you are and identifying yourself, please? I served in the Atlanta area as the chief of police of the city of Aqua, Georgia, up in Cobb County for right at 10 years, 25 years total in the law enforcement field before retiring six years ago to go on faculty at Bob Jones University up in Greenville, South Carolina. Bob Jones is a, is a Christian college. And I teach in our criminal justice section, graduate of the FBI National Academy, hold a doctoral degree in public administration from Valdosta State University. For most of my time as a, as a law enforcement officer, I also served as a police firearms instructor. How long have you been teaching firearms? How many years total? Teaching firearms, probably somewhere in excess of 25 years. And in terms of handling firearms, something in excess of 50 years. Does that include what's commonly referred to as assault rifles as well? That misnomer that is given to platforms such as the AR-15, yes, I do handle those firearms and have shot them and have instructed in them, yes, sir. How about fully automatic weapons? I'm not certified in fully automatic weapons. Handled a number of them, both in the civilian law enforcement and in the military context. I'm not actually certified to teach that particular firearm. So we want to talk about what happened in Las Vegas. I'm sure you've been following the news. And one of the topics that I want to talk about first is go back and explain why you said the term assault rifle is a misnomer, please. That term is applied to some of the modern firearms, such as the AL-15, the AK-47, similar firearms like that that are long rifles that have a magazine capacity, usually in excess of 10 rounds in a magazine, that sort of thing. The term assault rifle really essentially showed up out of nowhere, as far as I'm concerned. It is a essentially a media term that has been handled and given to a number of different firearms platforms, such as the AR-15, AK-47, and other rifles that will handle magazines that have capacity of more than 10 rounds or so. Your average hunting rifle magazine only holds somewhere around three to five rounds, depending on what the state allows for 
hunting purposes. Pretty much anything over that, the media has just started calling them assault rifles, which is, I don't think, really an appropriate term. Now, as a civilian and as a firearms instructor and as an advocate, frankly, for the Second Amendment, I think that there is the question that if you begin to limit the types of access that civilians in this country can have to firearms, to an AK-47, that's the camel sticking its nose under the proverbial tent. And you just have a whole population that just does not trust where the government will stop on that sort of thing. And I think that the answer is not to go after the gun. The answer is to go after the violator. And if you have people in this country who commit crimes while they are armed, that's where our most serious penalties need to be. And to take people, put them in jail, and leave them in jail if they commit a crime and have a firearm on their person. In the middle 1990s, we began incarcerating people seriously in this country who had committed serious felonies. And we took them out of the pool of being able to commit additional crimes. And since the middle 1990s, across the country, violent crime has plummeted because we are taking the repeat offenders out of circulation. They couldn't do their crimes anymore. We put them in jail. We put them in a place where they cannot harm people. In South Carolina alone, since 1996, violent crime has dropped over 51%. And that statistic is fairly well mirrored across the country. That gives us a pretty good answer right there. Take the people who commit gun crime, put them in jail, and leave them in jail. And I commented to this group that to date, to that date a couple of weeks ago, the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando ranked as the highest mass shooting that we'd had in the United States. But I told that audience, I said, but don't worry, there's someone out there right now who is thinking about the Pulse nightclub shooting and saying to themselves, I'm going to go set the new record. And lo and behold, two weeks or so after I made that statement, someone comes along and does what this individual did in killing all of those people. When the Second Amendment was drafted and adopted, basically they were dealing with muskets. And obviously an AR-15 is much more powerful than a musket. So back in that day, you know, if they wanted to, they could afford one. They could own a cannon. Out in the backyard, instead of shooting ski, they could fire cannonballs if they wanted to. I'm saying that someone adjusts, but I'm also saying it to make a point. Exactly what the military had in terms of their firepower and their weapons. This is exactly what the civilians were entitled to have under the Second Amendment. It would be not that difficult to take a semi-automatic firearm of any nature and convert it into an automatic firearm. It would not be that terribly difficult to do that with anything, which... When you stop and think about that, if that's what happened, and I don't know that that's what happened, all the details are not out yet, but if that's what happened with the man who is responsible for shooting all those people in Las Vegas, then he already demonstrated willingness to break the law to do what he did. What law could we pass that would have stopped that? Well, as you are familiar, the District of Columbia has a model policy and model city ordinance that prevents the distribution and ownership of firearms and restricts them and so forth. And that's why the District of Columbia has one of the lowest. Oh, wait a minute. No, they don't. The District of Columbia, even with their stringent laws that were found to be unconstitutional, has one of the highest rates per capita in the country. So let's go elsewhere. How about the city of Chicago? They have some pretty good ordinance there. They're restrictive on gun possession and ownership, and that's why they have some of the 
lowest crime rates and murder. Wait, wait, no, they don't. They have some of the highest actions of gun violence and murder in the country. Hmm. I'm not sure that we can come up with the law because those that we have on the books have not been effective in deterring gun violence. And that's why I'm contending, you know, the focus ought to be on the offender, not on the firearm. You do any kind of crime with a gun, then you have demonstrated a willingness to use that gun and kill somebody. The mere fact that you have it with you when you're committing a crime shows that you're willing to use it. Maybe you didn't use it when you robbed that bank. Maybe you didn't shoot anybody, but you had it with you. And you know what? As a society, we are not going to give you that chance again. We're going to take you and put you in jail for the rest of your natural life. What would you advise people to do in the event of an active shooter if they find themselves, you know, in a situation like we saw in Las Vegas? There are a number of different training systems that are out there, but most of them come down around three fundamental things that an individual should do if they find themselves subject to an active shooter. And the number one thing that is recommended by in the training systems, and I think by law enforcement as well, this is on the FBI website, is to run. At the minimum, create a moving target. It's harder to hit one that is moving than it is to fire one that is just simply standing there. But get out of there. Run as fast as you can and remove yourself from the scene. That's the number one recommendation from all circles. Secondly, if you cannot run, perhaps the shooter is somehow between you and your point of egress from the building, your point of exit from the building. If you cannot run, then you hide hide under something, barricade yourself in a room, lock the doors, turn out the lights, get furniture you know, in front of the door, make yourself as flat on the floor as you can and be absolutely silent and hide. Because maybe as the shooter moves through a building looking for victims, maybe he'll miss you because you are well hidden. But then failing that, you can't run and you can't hide or perhaps the shooter finds you, your last option is to fight. And by fighting, that means you offer everything you've got to try to stop that shooter from killing you or injuring you or someone else. And at that point, it's your life against the life of the person who's assailing you. And you throw everything you possibly have at that individual to stop them. If you happen to be an armed citizen, you know, someone who's authorized by your respective state to carry a firearm on your person, if you have the opportunity to engage that individual with that firearm, then you would certainly do so to try to protect yourself and others. That's not something you're going to do in the middle of your church congregation with 600 people standing around you, or as Philip and I have talked about in the past, you know, maybe crowded movie theaters or, or places like that. That just limits your options because you cannot go shooting in there you know, and take a chance on, on missing and hitting a, an innocent person. You fight for your life because your life is on the line. You cannot legislate evil into non-existence. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Let's be clear about one thing. Sworn is not a political podcast, but we cannot forget that there are lots of people whose opinions differ from Mike Wilkie's. On the other side of his argument, there are also those who believe that gun restriction is truly the only way to see a definitive decrease in these tragedies. For a differing viewpoint, we talked to Antoine Seawright, a Democratic strategist who, like Mike Wilkie, is from South Carolina. So just to give you a background, I'm a political consultant. One of my clients was killed in a church two years ago here in South Carolina. He's a state senator, Clemente Pinkney. And uh, I don't know if you remember when Dylan Roof, the white terrorist who killed nine people in a church here in South Carolina. Yes, I do. Clemente, the pastor of the church, was my client. It's a simple thing. We call it the Charleston loophole. His background check in the time period did not come back, but they still sold him the gun. And so had there been a law in place that says, look, if your background check does not come back within three days, then you can't purchase a gun. Then perhaps he never would have been able to have a gun to shoot nine people. So my name is Antoine Seawright. I own a public relations, advertising, and political strategy firm called Blueprint Strategy. It's based here in Columbia, South Carolina. I've done, from a campaign perspective, I've probably been involved in well over 150 campaigns and well over 100 ballot initiatives. I represent a number of political entities as well as elected officials from members of U.S. Congress on down to dog catcher. I also am on Fox News on occasion to provide some political commentary and I have a radio show. Can we just go straight into it and have you explain to us your standpoint on gun control laws? Well, first of all, let me just say my thoughts and prayers are with the families and the community of Las Vegas, because when one of our brothers and sisters in this country are hurting or have feel some sort of pain, I think we all hurt. And it's very tragic what happened. One of the largest killings on record, and I call it a massacre, is very unfortunate that the person who shot and killed these people and injured so many others has not been labeled as a domestic terrorist. It's another shooting, and here we are having another conversation about gun laws, yet some of my Republican friends and Republican leaders say, as soon as these things happen, not the time. Well, we've had almost a week now in between the incident, and we still have not had a legislative conversation about gun control laws. And one could argue that, oh, well, 
we don't need more gun control laws. We just need to pray for our country, or we just need to deal with the people who have been committing these crimes because they have mental issues. And we can keep making excuses, but the more excuses we make, the more people literally will die on American soil, not by anyone from any country that Mr. Trump proposed his Muslim ban for, but these are homegrown American terrorists. So with Las Vegas specifically, do you think that it could have been prevented? Absolutely. What we have learned so far is that one perhaps change in the law to deal with bump stocks could have perhaps prevented this from happening. We also spoke with Kim Alfano, a parent and GOP strategist. She told us about a personal experience with a shooting close to her daughter's school. Even as a representative of the Republican Party and their candidates, she believes that there are some modifications that could be made to existing gun laws that might increase everyone's safety. I'm Kim Alfano. I own a political media consulting firm on the Republican side for 27 years now. I also work in education advocacy and education reform advocacy, criminal justice reform advocacy, and do some types of things like that on the side versus just candidate work and raise my daughter. Speaking of your daughter, could you tell that story and then kind of tie it into your thoughts on gun control? When my daughter was in first grade, it was shortly after Sandy Hook. We lived in downtown Alexandria, Virginia, right outside D.C. She went to an adorable little public school. They were outside playing on the playground. And the playground is kind of, it's a very pedestrian city. It's not, you know, like being in downtown New York, but it's also not like being in the suburbs where the schools are kind of off in a field. There are people walking by at all times and cars and things, and their playground sort of fenced in by three sides. And the kindergarten and first graders were all out on the playground at that moment. And she happened to be back by the back part of the fence that sort of faced the neighborhood street and was playing on the swings. And there was a guy who had committed some crimes and was I guess he was walking through the streets of Alexandria. Basically, Officer LeBoy, whose children had gone to Bella's school, so he was very familiar to the, the kids at the school, he happened to pull this guy over, and he walked up to the car. He didn't realize this guy had committed a crime. He wasn't looking for him. I think he pulled him over for a traffic violation. And the guy had pulled out a gun and shot him point blank in the head. And... He was on the other side of the car from the kids. You know, there was basically the road, the sidewalk, and the kids were inside the fence. So some of the kids were right up against the fence. He was luckily on the other side of the car, so they didn't see everything go down. But basically, you know, my daughter said she heard pops because she had her back to it. She was swinging on the swings. And some of the kids said they heard something, you know, heard like a bag thud. So basically it was the officer falling down. But some really smart teachers heard it realized what was going on, grabbed all the kids. They all were brought inside. They were locked down in the gym. Again, this is right after Sandy Hook. So everybody was completely on edge anyway. Locked them down. They did the drill where they all had to sit in the gym. And then there was an email sent out to parents, hey, we're locked down. Here's the situation as we know it. And then probably about 35 minutes later, they realized it was an isolated incident. They had gone to catch the guy. He fled. The medic, medevac helicopter landed in the schoolyard to take the police officer off to the hospital. And the kids were out of their sort of gym lockdown by then. So a lot of them looked out the window and saw that happening. They kind of didn't, you know, since it's such little grades, 
It's an elementary school. They didn't really tell him what was going on, but a lot of kids sort of pieced it together. And then about four o'clock, we were allowed to go back and get him. I know hunters. I know clients who are staunch advocates of the Second Amendment. And I understand why they are, and I know them to be good people. So I had never been a, a huge advocate one way or another on it, but I was never such an anti-gun person. I know so many responsible people who have guns, but when that happened, I was terrified. Now, my my thoughts didn't run towards why does that guy have a gun? Because it was a, you know, a gun that was, it's common. It wasn't a machine gun. He didn't shoot up the school. He didn't do anything, but just how can this stuff happen right near my kid? You know, what's the world coming to where the suburbs and the bucolic you know, rolling hills of our neighborhoods are now kind of up for grabs. In the case of Oklahoma City, in the case of this guy that shot Officer LeBoy, in the case of Sandy Hook, it was all mental health. There are people out there that are hurting that are not getting help, and they go down these rabbit holes and do not come out, and we have tragedies as a result. I know the guy in Las Vegas, there wasn't any indicator that anything that, that would have popped on a background check, a mental health background check, but Clearly, he's mentally unstable because he shot up a whole bunch of people. So I think stronger mental health, stronger education about spotting and understanding when people are in difficult situations, you know, with the opioid crisis, you know, mental health and addiction, counseling, all of that, I think, is how you answer this. It's not necessarily a gun law because 99.9999% of the people who own all those guns that everybody's freaked out about don't commit crimes. You know, we hear about these outrageous, sensationalized ones, but in, you know, Illinois and Chicago, where there's horrifying gun violence, it's happening with illegal guns and they have strict gun laws. So gun laws don't prevent gun crime. It's criminals and the unstable people using guns about Oklahoma City. Somebody with a car and some fertilizer killed three times as many people as occurred in, you know, Las Vegas. Not to diminish what happened in Las Vegas, but anyone with evil intent or an unstable mind will find a way to create a weapon. So solving this or that issue, obviously bump stocks need to be addressed. Nobody wants people out there with automatic weapons. And there's some pretty common sense things, but you're not getting to the underlying cause. How do you think we become more proactive in addressing mental health issues? Where does that come in in play when trying to purchase a firearm? My just knee-jerk reaction as a mom would be there needs to be some sort of element of the background check that allows for part of the process of get I mean, if I want to be a daycare worker, you do a mental health check on me, right? So if I'm going to have a gun you should be able to do a mental health check on me. Now, to keep that record, I get how gun rights advocates are saying, no, you can't build a database of those of us with issues. So the record goes away, just like the background check goes away. It doesn't get stored anywhere. It doesn't get kept. There's got to be a way to at least screen out the low-hanging fruit of people who have been in mental health treatment before or who have been cited for domestic violence or who have been cited for any number of things. Like I said, I work on education reform issues and I work on criminal justice reform issues. Well, there's two places right there that nip issues in the bud. Kids that are caught in horrible cycles of poverty and dependence and lack of a good education. So there's no way for them to get out of that cycle. Those are kids that are going to get sucked into neighborhoods and become drug dealers. Those are kids that are going to become parts of gangs, that are going to become parts of 
violence. Let's give them the opportunity to get out of those situations and break that cycle for their family. And so the kid that's 19 that gets picked up because he has, you know, drug paraphernalia in his car and goes to prison for five years or 18 months or whatever it is, is in a prison for 18 months with a career professional drug dealer who could teach him how to cook meth and who's going to indoctrinate him into a gang in those 18 months and who's going to get him in the into a cycle where if someone had given him drug addiction treatment, sent him to a boot camp, that kid might turn around and have a productive life. So another place to sort of find and help people is through criminal justice reform. Instead of putting them into the system, let's find ways and treatments and and put some government money into helping people with addictions and with mental health issues. I'm not sure there's a gun law that we could have passed in the wake of that, that next day. And I think anyone, Republican, Democrat, if you had a heart in your chest, if someone said, this is something that would stop this from ever happening again, gun rights advocate or not, you would have said, let's do it. But I don't think that there was any one thing that anyone could point to that would have said, this will never happen again. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm not sure the answer is to say, you, Hunter in New Hampshire, can't have a gun. You know, I mean, after all these truck deaths and like we saw in Charlotte, so do we say you can't have cars? I mean, how do you address the underlying problem by just focusing on the equipment? Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Mason stopped by a local firearm store to walk us through the steps of buying a gun. If I were to come in here, I'm looking at a bunch of pistols, shotguns, see ARs on the wall. Mm-hmm. What process would it be for me to buy a gun? All right. So first and foremost, if you even want to come in here and hold a gun, you got to be 18 for a long rifle. You got to be 21 for handguns. You got to check your ID, make sure you got a valid driver's license, carry permit, something. If you have no government-issued ID without a current address, I can't even let you do that. If you want to actually buy something, you got to at least have a valid driver's license, you got to be of age, and you got to have a current address on your government-issued documentation. So, you know, if you have a driver's license and it's valid, even if you got a carry permit, if nothing's got your current address on it, I can't sell you anything. Uh, once you've 
got all that, all that checks out. We got to sit you down and do some 4473 paperwork, which basically fill out, you know, your name, place of birth, address, all the kind of pertinent information. Are you the actual buyer of the gun? Were you ever unlawfully, like, I don't know, are you wanted for a felony? Or are you a fugitive from justice? Were you ever dishonorably discharged? All that kind of stuff will disqualify you just like that. Gotcha. On top of that, if you don't have a carry permit, we have to run a background check on you. And if that doesn't come back, you can either get delayed or denied. And you can you can just get let go, depending on how the background check goes. But that's the part that kills a lot of sales, is someone will come in, put their background check in, it'll get sent to the FBI, and the FBI will be like, don't do it. Right. You mentioned age. So what age is it to buy a firearm? Are there certain type of firearms I can or cannot buy at a certain age? At 18 years old, you can buy long rifles and shotguns. At 21 years old, you can buy handguns. That's pretty much it for age. So an 18-year-old with the proper identification and checks out could come in here and buy an AR, no problem. An 18-year-old would have to come in, have their proper identification, and have ID with their current address and everything, have their background check go smoothly, no problems, no delays, no holdups. If everything went perfectly, we could have them out here the same day, but that's provided everything went perfectly. We, as the salespeople, have the ultimate authority to cancel any sale. We don't necessarily have to have a reason. It can be, I'm getting a bad vibe from this situation. I don't want to sell this. We don't have to. We can go to a manager and be like, look, we're not doing this. The big, huge red flags, some of the really obvious ones, are if somebody comes into the store and gives money to somebody else and that person's buying the gun. So as a a gun salesman, you would say, how do you advise to do the best sale to make sure you're putting a gun in the right person's hands? As a gun salesman, it's pretty much just gauge whether the person knows what they're talking about. If they seem inexperienced, if they don't seem to really know what they're doing, like, have you ever shot a gun before? Do you have much practice? Do you go to the range very often? And if the answers to any of those questions are, hey, no, I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, Georgia Firing Line is right down the road. They're building a complex right across the street. There's Wild West Traders in Austell. No matter where people are coming from, I can generally say there's a range near you and they offer rental guns. So go out there, rent a gun. You know, they offer safety courses as well. Like my dad works over at Wild West Traders in Austell and he teaches safety courses there. So I can say, hey, sit down with these people and they'll at least give you a rundown of what you need to know. But here it's like, look, we're selling guns, so we have to make sure it's done safely that we go through the proper channels and that we avoid any bad situations. Mason asked if it was any more difficult to buy an AR versus a 410. The man said, besides cost, no, you just need to be 18. To give some perspective, in this country, you have to be 21 to drink. But at 18, you can walk around with an AR in public. Even with current regulations, it turns out it is pretty easy to purchase a gun, probably easier than it should be. One debate that has surfaced since the massacre in Las Vegas is what do we label this? Is this an act of terrorism? Domestic terrorism? What exactly is the difference? We discussed this topic and more with Rebecca Grant, a highly experienced national security and military analyst. My name is Rebecca Grant. I have a PhD in international relations, and I'm a national security analyst and defense consultant here in Washington, D.C. After an incident like this, the first question in people's minds, could there be any link to known terrorist groups. So one of the first questions as they begin to identify the perpetrator is to look and see, in this case, were there any links to ISIS? 
a lot of confusion occurred when ISIS decided to take advantage and claim that they had been responsible in some way for this event. There's been no corroboration of that. That was just those terrorists being very, very opportunistic. So right now, we have not heard of any ties between Paddock and a designated terrorist group, or at least a designated international terrorist group. And the crazy thing was that ISIS had issued one of its periodic warnings a few days before this took place, saying that citizens in big cities of the world, Paris, Los Angeles, etc., should really take cover and not go out in public. So that non-specific warning had popped up, and I think for some people, there was an immediate question of, oh my gosh, was this linked? Was there a warning, and then was this the link? You know, the other thing that was terribly similar, of course, was the attack in Las Vegas and the attack several months earlier this year in Manchester, where we saw a concert as the target. So I think there were enough superficial similarities to raise questions. But right now, we're just not seeing anything that definitively links Paddock to a radical Islamic group of any kind. The main definition of terrorism is unlawful force and violence, terrorist act, but it has to have a purpose to it, to intimidate or coerce the government or the civilian population or uh, any segment thereof. So we think of terrorism as part of a cause, very evil, very bad, but that it has to have this political objective attached to it. So under the strict definition, it doesn't look like the Las Vegas incident is an act of terrorism strictly defined. Now, does that mean it's not horrible and terrifying? Oh, my gosh, it was absolutely terrifying. The Las Vegas shooting doesn't meet the strict definition of terrorism because there's not that political element to it. So the Las Vegas shooter fits a little bit better into a kind of a subcategory of domestic terrorists. And to me, they would include people like Eric Rudolph with the bombings, individuals who are carrying out horrible acts of violence, but without that attachment to an international group or a big political movement. Now, our government has tracked what we sometimes call uh, homegrown terrorists for a long time. You know, another big example, of course, is Timothy McVeigh in the 1995 Oklahoma City bombings, which were, were very, very tragic. In some cases, these individuals have a political agenda of their own. They've made statements. In some cases, they have it. So these lone wolf domestic terrorists are particularly hard to track unless they meet some of the profile criteria that you look for. We've been using a set of profile criteria to watch kind of homegrown or domestic terrorist candidates for quite a long time. But when, like Stephen Paddock, they really don't fit that profile, it's hard to figure out what they're up to, and it's hard to really know how to classify the terrible deeds that they've done. For many years now, part of the study of terrorism has been to try to figure out why individuals decide to commit these acts of terror. And in that study, there is extensive study of people within the United States who meet a certain profile. The typical profile, and you'll find this in any of the academic literature, would be someone who has had access to firearms. 
someone who's had military training, someone who lives an isolated life, someone who may have had relatives or close associates involved in terrorist acts or incarcerated. There are a number of profile elements that have been used for many years to try to spotlight individuals within certain social groups in the U.S. who may be heading towards committing an act of violence. I think the profile has been pretty useful in helping law enforcement keep watch, particularly, let's say, if you have a, a radical group, you know, radicals of Maryland. What was so tragic and heartbreaking with the Las Vegas shooter was he really didn't meet any of that profile that has been helpful in the past. He was older, he was financially well-off, and there was nothing in his background that was going to trip this profile. He owned a lot of guns, which means he had passed multiple background checks. And what is so scary about him was that he didn't match that profile, which has been used successfully in other cases. Like everyone else, I'm desperate to find a reason why this happened. And we want to find a reason so we can work to prevent it in the future. When we don't have that reason, I think it's doubly painful. Not only is it a senseless act, but we don't know what steps we might be able to take in the future to make sure things like this don't happen again. So my view is that unless we get more evidence that hasn't come forth yet, you know, he wanted to go out in a blaze of glory. It was very personal to him. Some have said he had become mentally ill over time. There may be an element there, but he's going to turn out to be just a unique force of evil that sprang up and committed this terrible act. I don't see a connection to a terrorist group. I don't think that his horrible act means that there's something wrong with our country or with American culture in general. He's going to turn out to be just one of those evil, evil people. We used to call it the work of the devil. And I think he's going to turn out to be just one lone, evil man. Could this have been prevented? No. I think Stephen Paddock was determined to create a horrible incident of violence. He had the guns. He had planned very carefully. Some reports have said he had ammonium nitrate in his car. That says to me he was going to carry out the fact one way or another. Well, I would guarantee there have already been changes on the Las Vegas Strip. You know, Las Vegas is a tightly regulated environment, and it works partly because there is a sense of freedom and security. I think, you know, a casino floor in Las Vegas is probably one of the safest places in the world. So I'm sure that the casino owners, the businessmen of Las Vegas and the state of Nevada We'll be working hard to try to make Vegas much more secure. Some things that they can do possibly may include some additional aerial surveillance. There are technologies available for that. I'm sure that all the, the casino owners are looking through their databases of people that they keep track of because they're guests and you know high rollers coming in. I think that those specialists in security will be doing everything they can in Las Vegas and at other popular tourist destinations. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Atlantic City thinking about it. You know, even Florida, some of the big destinations there. There's already a, a lot of behind-the-scenes security, and I think that's where we'll see people really studying the lessons of Las Vegas and moving forward to try to help crowds and gatherings be safer in the future. You know, whatever you think about Las Vegas, one lesson really stands out to me that is, there's nothing wrong with American culture. 
we don't need to have a big discussion about American culture. This was the act of one evil man. So there's nothing wrong with American culture, and we're barking up the wrong tree if we try to pursue it that way. This podcast is not a political podcast, and we're not here to settle the gun control debate. This is a podcast, however, about the criminal justice system, and the tragedy in Las Vegas was a crime. By way of background, I wanted to clear up a common misconception about the Bill of Rights. It's the first 10 amendments to our Constitution. You see, the Bill of Rights doesn't grant any particular right to anybody. The Bill of Rights serves as a limit on the power of the government versus the people. So what the real issue in all of this discussion is to what length does our government have the authority to regulate our rights, including our Second Amendment rights? Surprisingly, there was not a lot of case law from the U.S. Supreme Court pertaining to the Second Amendment until 2008 when the court decided a case called District of Columbia versus Heller. Before we get into Heller, it's important to understand that when interpreting the Constitution, it's not what the Constitution says that matters, it's what the Supreme Court says that it means is what matters. The text of the Second Amendment says, a well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed, period. So D.C. versus Heller is a landmark case where the U.S. Supreme Court decided on June 26, 2008, by a five to four majority, that the Second Amendment guarantees an individual right to possess firearms and that right has nothing to do with serving in any state militia. Further, it clarifies the right extends to the use of firearms for traditionally lawful purposes, including the ancient right of self-defense. The Heller case started because the District of Columbia, by local law, banned handgun possession and made it a crime to carry an unregistered firearm, and it also prohibited the registration of handguns altogether in D.C., D.C. law also said that no person may carry an unlicensed handgun, but it authorizes the chief of police to issue one-year licenses. Additionally, it required residents to keep lawfully owned firearms unloaded and disassembled or bound by a trigger lock or a similar device. Heller was a D.C. special policeman. He applied to register a handgun that he wished to keep at home, but the district refused. So he filed a lawsuit in the federal court in D.C., on Second Amendment grounds, asking the court to prohibit the city from enforcing these laws. Up until this point, a lot of scholars and even courts interpreted the Second Amendment to be limited by the very first few words, which say, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. But the Supreme Court said in the Heller opinion that the operative clause was, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And they said that codifies an individual right, a right that existed long before the Constitution was written, and a right that exists in nature. The court said that the preamble, the part about a well-regulated militia, was simply an expression of the framers' belief that the most effective way to destroy a citizen's militia was to disarm the citizens, which is exactly what the British attempted to do at the battles of Lexington and Concord at the very beginning of the American Revolution. Justice Scalia, writing the opinion in Heller, tells us, though, that like most rights, the Second Amendment right is not unlimited. 
For example, there's not a right to keep and carry any weapon or gun whatsoever in any manner whatsoever or for whatever purpose. Also, the court's opinions should not be taken to cast doubt on longstanding prohibitions on the possession of firearms by felons or the mentally ill, or laws forbidding the carrying of firearms in sensitive places such as schools and government buildings, or laws imposing conditions and qualifications on the commercial sale of arms. As a rule, rights do not require any government-issued license for a person to exercise that right, as opposed to a privilege. Privileges are granted by the government, unlike rights, so privileges frequently do require a license, such as a license, for example, to drive a car. So, from a purely legal perspective, what is the bottom line? Well, in light of the Heller case, it's clear that while guns can be regulated to a point, I can't think of any new law or any new regulation that would have prevented the Las Vegas massacre. I think it's also clear that the bump stock device, which the shooter used to increase his rate of fire, could legally be outlawed tomorrow. But it's important to remember, the bump stock device is nothing more than a commercially sold aftermarket device. And that device is not needed for a shooter to achieve the same or similar result using homemade means. The bottom line is that nobody has a crystal ball. The future cannot be predicted. A determined killer will find a way to kill, whether it be with a gun, 20 guns, a box truck, a homemade bomb, or whatever the evil mind can conceive. To make the USA truly safe from gun violence, you'd have to basically take away or get around somehow the Second Amendment first. Then you'd have to confiscate all of the guns. And if you did that, you'd be violating the Fourth Amendment, which protects citizens against unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. Then you'd have to get around the Due Process Clause of the Fifth Amendment. And the list goes on and on and on. By the time you're done, there really wouldn't be much of a Bill of Rights left. And that is what Justice Scalia, writing for the court in Heller, would call tyranny. And if that were to happen, the only people who would have the guns would be the folks in the government. And that is why the United States exists today, because an armed citizenry took up arms against an oppressive government. When the British first tried to confiscate guns, at the battles of Lexington and Concord. As of the time of this recording, there's no known motive that can be attributed to the Las Vegas murder. And so we really don't know if there was any intention to influence any kind of policy. So was it terrorism or was it just a lone madman? In the absence of any evidence that the shooter was using this violence to intimidate or coerce some type of policy change, my belief is that it was simply the work of a madman. But that's just my opinion. Many other people have other thoughts about this. We know that the Islamic State has claimed credit for it, but according to the FBI, there's no credible evidence that this was actually related to international Islamic terrorism. We extend our most sincere condolences to the families of the victims in the Las Vegas massacre. It is our sincere hope and wish that those injured will recover as much and as fast as possible. We hope that law enforcement can figure out just what motivated this evil mind to commit this most heinous of atrocities so that they can better prepare in the future to respond to any criminal act. Thank you.
Born is produced by Tenderfoot TV in Atlanta. Story and production by Payne Lindsay, Mason Lindsay, and Meredith Stedman, and myself, Philip Holloway. Executive producers, Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. And if you haven't yet, please check out our sister podcast, Up and Vanished, that follows the investigation into the disappearance of Georgia high school teacher and beauty queen, Tara Grinstead. Up and Vanished is available now on Apple Podcasts. Sworn is mixed and mastered by Resonate Recordings. If you're in the market for podcast production, go to ResonateRecordings.com to get your first episode produced for free. If you haven't already, please head over to iTunes now to subscribe, rate, and review Sworn. And make sure you check us out online at SwornPodcast.com and follow us on social media at SwornPodcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, your host, Philip Holloway, at PhilHollowayESQ on Twitter. Thanks for listening. This is Philip Holloway, and I'll see you next time on Sworn. When I see you, I see you, I see Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.